Hi everyone and welcome to the Grown Up Girls Report podcast. I am Alex Moon McCann and I am your host of this podcast for women. Let's describe it like that, podcast for women in their prime. Well, for the regulars, you know that this is book club week and so I am here with an original member of the book club team, the gorgeous Julie Collard. Hi, Joel. Hi, everyone. Hi, Alex. Hi, Joel. To discuss a book which just had to be done, didn't it, Jules? Absolutely. Well, it's a sequel, essentially. Yeah. Absolutely. So we are talking <laughs> not about... Not really, but... Not really, but it was the next one. Yeah. yeah. We had to do it. It was yeah. all our, It's All Our Shimmering Skies by Trent Dalton. Now, what a read, Jules. It was quite a read. There's quite a lot in it. Quite a lot in it's it. It's about as busy as its cover, really. Isn't the cover divine? The cover is so divine. It is beautiful. It is absolutely but very, beautiful. very busy. <laughs> very, very busy. Yes, it is really just sort of sums it up, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. it does. I mean, did you notice all the various themes that are within the cover, all I the know. tiny little sort of um, visual things that you'll see within the book? I know. Are, it's um, very well done, actually. Done I, don't on the who, cover. I don't know who did it, but they need a gold star because it's, it's, it's pretty good. I love it. Mm. Absolutely love it. Now, where were you when you were reading this? Um, well, I first read it actually at the end of last year when it first came out. You did too. This yeah. is, you've actually, as, as Jules yes. always does, usually reads things twice. Well, I actually don't mean to. It's just that you say to me after the fact, oh, I was thinking we should do the Trent Dalton book. And I go, oh, I've already read that. Damn it. I'm going to have to reread it because <laughs> I don't remember what happened. <laughs> oh, you've got such high standards. So, That's why I love you. Yeah, well, oh, honestly, just a short memory. It's not high standards. It's a short memory. <laughs> In one ear and out the other. Um, so last year when you read it, were yeah. you just on the couch at yeah, home? Yeah, just at home. Yeah, right. Both times, you know, obviously we don't go very far these days, oh, no, do we? No, we don't, so do we? No. Ne- neither a read has been um, from anywhere special. Right. Just home. On the couch? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. great. Yeah. In yeah, bed good. at night, that kind of thing. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I find reading in bed at night a disaster. Oh, do you? I can't do it. I find two pages, up, not even that, I'm gone. I'm out. <laughs> not that I stay asleep all night, but I'm, I have a little bit of a go. I started reading this. Um, when I was at Manly Beach. Oh, nice. Yeah, which was lovely. But I found it a little bit hard to get into, I'm yeah. going to be honest. The beach is distracting. The beach is distracting. <laughs> the beach is distracting. It was a beautiful summer day. The skies were shimmering. Yeah. Um, and I sort of thought this was the right place to start reading book yes. with that title. But I found it hard, Jules. It was a bit glary, I suppose. Yes. So, Better sunglasses. Yes. Broader brim. Totally. should have done that. A bigger hat. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. But, um, I, yeah, I have. Um, I did really enjoy reading it. Yeah. But I have to say I did take a little bit of time to get into it. Yes. Um, and I, um, overall, I'm so glad I read it. Yeah. But it's a different read to Boy Swallows Universe. It is, but a similar feeling, though, in that sense, oh, isn't it? Yes. I mean, we both said that we spent some time finding our way into Boy Swallows we Universe did. as well. But I'm so um, glad I pursued that one. Yes. Yeah. I preferred the first book to this one. I'm going to agree with that. Yeah. Um, I really am. Not to, not to detract from the effort that he would have put into oh, it. Oh, no. I mean, it's huge. Yeah. I think actually there's maybe too much effort in Do you know what? This I book. think you're right. I think he's tried very hard and I think that there are perhaps too many um, subplots and overlapping characters. I agree with that, um, yeah. As you say, it's busy. quite busy, like the cover. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's quite busy. And it, for me as well, it, it's a fable, which I like, mm. but it's almost um, a, a bit of an adult fairy tale. It's yes. a bit of um, yeah. almost a hallucinogenic experience yes. sometimes. Yes, And I think Phantasmagorical, that, I think. Yeah, yeah, I love that. What a great, what a, what a great word. But and I think I was reading it and, I, and I, as always I put myself under time pressure yeah. and perhaps I was wondering if I found it to be like that because I had time pressure reading it, that I didn't have the time to be able to 
I don't know, to, to sit in the floweriness of it and the, mm. and the, and the, the fantastical nature of it. Maybe, maybe that's why I struggled a little bit with, with that. I still, love, I still enjoyed it and I love yeah. that his turn of phrase is beautiful and his oh, description yes. is incredible. Oh, yes, his writing is still outstanding, absolutely. It was probably a little bit too hallucinogenic for me. Yeah, and there were, I mean, I, I think I, the editor in me actually found um, some of the descriptions of the Australian landscape um, initially beautiful mm, description and outstanding but then I also got to the point of like okay yeah here we are in the next chapter yep. pretty much yep. describing a similar sort of thing but in a different way and I get it <laughs> yeah 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 so I felt it was somewhat repetitive in in the yeah just the descriptiveness yes. um Yes. I mean, which he does very well. Absolutely. He's no one better. Like um, he's got a real knack for it. He really yeah. does. And interestingly on that, Jules, so on Instagram, um, thank you very much, everyone, for your feedback. I so appreciate it. Our, we, our, our thoughts weren't always mirrored and every, that's what we love about this show. Everyone yeah. everyone has a different opinion. Yep. So um, Ness Stack, um, thank you for your input. She said she thought it would be hard to top Roy Swallow's universe, but she thought this book was even better and okay. it had her in tears, yep. which was interesting. And then Bobs and Bibs thought this was the best read of 2020. Ah. Yeah. Did you cry? I didn't cry and I am no, a real no, crier, Jules. Like yeah. I'm, a, I'm one of those sobbers, you know, <laughs> the embarrassing sobbers. Yeah. Um, but I didn't cry in this one. I mean, I felt a lot of empathy for Molly. And we'll yes. get into that. We'll get into the other uh, plot in a minute, people, don't worry. Um, and no spoilers. I did feel a lot of empathy for her, yes. particularly as the book progressed. Initially I didn't because I found it maybe because of the maybe because of the glare at Manly Beach. I found it a little hard to get into. Yeah. But then, and I think when you and I were talking before, um, because of because of some of the hallucinogenic um, descriptions of the, the Northern Territory and they go on their adventure, I was very grateful for the some of the perfunctory descriptions from Molly. Yes. But initially I struggled with those too. So okay. I don't know, I, 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 I did struggle. I liked, I liked Molly straight away. Um, did you warm to her straight away? Yeah, I think I did in a way okay. because she was such a little... Um, a strange little elfin thing. I yes. don't know. She, you know, to start with, when you first meet her in the book, she's only still about seven yeah. or so. Yeah. Um, the majority of the book is actually when she's 12, 13. Yes. Um, but initially, you know, in those first, you know, chapters, um, she's still quite young. I don't know. I, I did instantly feel sorry for her, I guess, maybe, you know, because they painted the picture of she lives, you know. Yeah. She's actually, a, why don't we talk about yeah. that? Let's talk about the plot. Yeah. yeah. So she's a grave, she's basically been born into a family of grave diggers at the Hollywood Cemetery um, on the outskirts of Darwin in the 1940s. Um, and she basically, as a seven-year-old, is already digging graves yeah. with her um, her father Horace and her uncle Aubrey, yes. um, who are two incredibly difficult-sounding men to mm. be around. And alcoholics, so, alcoholics, um, gamblers, just nasty. Mm. I mean, her father sounds like there's a slightly softer edge, but really not much not softer. Much. Um, and and her uncle appears to, you know, out and out hate her. Yes. Um, we can't really work out why until yeah, the end of the book, so yeah. stay tuned. So, yeah, she's um, – I so maybe initially my feeling towards her as a character was built on the sympathy I felt for this poor little child who had no one. Yeah, um, and because then pretty soon she loses her mum. Yeah, so her, at seven, her mum – And her mother seems to be leaving by choice. Yeah. And it seems quite um, – you know, what's the word, ambiguous, her departure. 
Um, yes, I think we could probably. I surmised by the end of the book that she chose. She took her own life. Yes, that's but initially well, I was initially I was I wasn't sure, but I think yeah. as it unraveled, I, I thought that was pretty. Cool. Yeah, there's quite a few sort of details throughout mm. that in the book that I think Trent Dalton has purposely left ambiguous. Absolutely. Um, he does a good job of that, actually. Yeah. I quite like that. And and then as a reader, you feel quite satisfied when you put something together. I go, oh, yes, thank you. I got that. Yeah. yeah. And But there's even some some almost like dreamlike sequences coming, you know, from Molly's perspective that he writes that you think, oh, that explains that. Totally. Um, but you still don't quite know whether that particular mm. event happened in mm. real life or it, it's a, a false memory. Absolutely. Or a dream from sure. Molly. Um, but it, but those, those very sequences go to explain a whole lot of the hatred or the misery that the yeah. family has for each yeah. other or that they suffer through. So Very um, dark backstory to it all. Yeah, oh absolutely. Yeah. Crazy, crazy, yeah. crazy. Yeah, so she she digs the graves barefoot. She's yep. this really basic existence. Mm. She lives amongst the dead and Aubrey, I think Horace, but mainly Aubrey, likes, likes to steal a lot of uh, a lot of the gold and all oh, of yes. the Oh, yes, he's a grave yes, robber. Yes, a grave robber from yes. corpses and she's encouraged to help. Yeah, that's right. Um, she's beaten regularly from her uncle and, um, and on top of that she also bears this burden of his family family curse yes which is a very very big deal um and her mother violet tells her just before she leaves that her, of who her grandfather is and then mm. it becomes like very clear that yeah. she lives under this curse um that was put on them by an aboriginal mythical creature called long coat bob yes and her grandfather was a prospector like for gold and yes. apparently stole, stole from gold. the land stole gold from mm. the land the indigenous lands and hence the uh supposed curse put upon the family by Longcoat Bob, who is this Indigenous elder. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, um, yeah, and, and but even those, like, you know, he is kind of, Longcoat Bob is a character that is referred to very frequently mm. but only comes into the book very briefly right at the end. And he's very much a mythical yes, man based totally. on rumour and yes. innuendo. Um, a great many people around Darwin know who he is and what the curse was. But there's always a question Again, the ambiguity of comes course. in a question of whether there is a curse. Mm. Do you really believe in mm. the curse? Like, mm. you know, Molly's uncle, is Aubrey, is always belittling her and making fun of her for believing in a curse. Um, at the same time, he will also say you're a curse on us, child. Absolutely. You know, so um, it's, you know, you're constantly wondering is this a real thing Is or is it just like some sorcery or some magic and are we to believe in this? Yeah, or, I know. I was never quite sure as the book progressed. I kept changing my mind. Mm. Um, so uh, you need to finish reading it to, uh, to to get to the bottom of that. Yeah. Um, so and then and then there is one scene as well where Aubrey tries to kill her. Like mm. it, it's, there is so much violence, don't you mm. think? And yeah. and and if you've read Boys Follows Universe, you'll know that that Dalton really doesn't doesn't he's very raw isn't he he, mm. he doesn't beat around the bush he explains things yeah. very clearly um so she has this brutal existence but she calls to the sky for help doesn't she yes. she seems to that seems to be her go-to yes the sky i mean i guess you know all our shimmering skies being the name of, of the, course the book i mean that actually comes from um there was a, a poem that was written in the middle of towards uh, towards the end of the book they go on a grand you know adventure mm. into um you know indigenous lands um south of darwin to try and relocate this gold and to try and find long coat bob yeah. and get to the bottom of mm. whether this curse can be lifted because molly would like to see the curse lifted Absolutely. from her um and um her uncle is out there also and um he comes upon a poem written on a rock in the middle of like yes. by a waterfall in the middle of nowhere and the poem says, no weights of gold to measure, only scales of truth and lies, for we are living treasure under all our shimmering skies. Oh. 
And I think that's pretty much how Molly sees things but not so much how her uncle Aubrey sees things. No. For him it's all about, um, I, I loved this term that Dalton coined of the glowing. Yes. Um, and that's first introduced um, when we when we first realised that Aubrey and Horace and because Molly is forced to do their bidding uh, and Molly also therefore um, are robbing the graves after the people they've buried in their cemetery um, have rotted away, they will go back to the graves some maybe years hence mm. and they will, you know, go through what has been buried with the people and they will find the gold or like in a golden, you know, wedding band Absolutely. or anything precious that may have been buried with some someone value. so that they can potentially on-sell it at some point and um, try and make a, a bit of extra money mm. on the side, buy it and probably just so that they can buy some more moonshine exactly. or some liquor or opium. whatever. Mm. Um, but there's a fantastic um, description of the glowing um, that I really loved. Molly is, as a the protagonist, is someone who has an amazing um, vision. She like does. she really has a very adult vision, even though he, oh. he he pictures her or draws the picture of her as um, a child very much, but she has like a very mature sense of what's going on around her. Absolutely. Um, so there's this section where they're, you know, Molly and her father Horace and her uncle are digging up this grave of this elderly person who's been buried and it says, um, even from the ground Molly and Horace can clearly see the unearthed treasure because there are no earths and no sins and no deaths that can keep the edge of a pure gold band from glowing in the lemon light. Molly observes the way her uncle smiles at it now, his secret smile, the silent affair he has maintained with the glowing. She's studied this bond for some time now. Mm. Um, in the next page she says, uh, she has come to believe lately that her uncle would do anything for the glowing because the glowing is breathing and eating and drinking and sleeping and fighting and digging. The glowing is all of life and he lives only in the briefest moments when the glowing bounces back into his shadowy eyes. It's a private affair, a solitary lust. She's not supposed to know about it. I actually loved it. I thought that was so well written. Yeah. It sums it up so well. Yeah. yeah. So And so there's this sense of the glowing and the, it being the only thing that inspires the hatred in Aubrey to keep pressing on yeah. because he's just somehow lustful after yeah. getting back to this gold. Yeah, gold fever, yeah. It's the only thing yeah. that truly brings him any inspiration or mm. motivation. Mm. Everything else in life is just misery mm. and hardship. And hard and negative. No, yeah. It's interesting, so isn't it? I really liked that passage. Yeah. No, it's very good, Jules. It's mm. very good. It's very good. So let's just talk about the sky. Why do you think she keeps talking to the sky? Well, I mean, I did um, hear a um, podcast early, like early in the release of the book. Um, so it was back in November that um, Trent Dalton did with Annabelle Crabb as yep. part of the Sydney Writers Festival. And um, he talked about the fact, I, I liked the idea that we all talk to the sky, um, as does Molly. Like, but he said, we never say anything that's not, um, we never say trivial things to the sky. Mm. We only say things that matter, things mm. that come from the heart. Like if you're making an appeal to the sky, you're always speaking from the heart. Um, and I think that's like a an idea that he took and carried through sort of thematically. So whenever it's like the sky, the sky is one of Molly's friends. Molly has very few friends. I mean, yes. in the book, you know, they yes. talk about the fact that her best friend as a child, she has no connection really no. with any kids. She, she goes to school sporadically. She barely ever hmm. goes to school. Her best friend is Bert and the Bert shovel. is the name that she has given to her shovel, yes, <laughs> which is so sad. So sad. Um, so 
and the sky is her other friend. Yeah. So totally. really she has the sky and she has Bert. Mm. Um, so So do you think the sky is a metaphor for our inner voice? Yes. Yeah, I do actually, yeah, because the sky can, but the sky also, you know, helps you. And she talks also about the difference between the night sky. And the day sky. And the day yeah. sky. And then is it the night sky tells no lies? That's right. And, and the, the day, day sky, sky can't be trusted. Yeah, can't basically. be trusted and tries to tell you other things, which I actually think is somewhat interesting because I find night times is when your mind goes crazy and See, I would you agree don't too. have significant, like you don't make I agree. good decisions or and, and then the day arises and you go, oh, okay, I'm back to clarity. Yeah, I'm, I'm well rested. I can see. I, I've got, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I can but see. he's kind of done the reverse I agree. with the I night agree. sky tells no lies. I know. I thought that was really interesting actually. Yeah. It's really interesting. Anyway, so so she keeps talking to the sky and she asks the sky to give her gifts. Well, and I think actually before her mother leaves, the mother says that she will mm. be looking out for her from the sky and yeah. she will always she will always provide for her. And so she gets a series of sky gifts, doesn't she? Yes. So the yeah. first one is, and it arrives just after her mother leaves. So it's this silver bowl that it's has copper, copper, copper pan. Is a copper pan. Yeah. Her grandfather had passed it on and underneath the pan he had sort of etched into it yes. almost like a little treasure map yeah. and a series of um, riddles essentially as to They're how to find. Yeah, very complicated mm. and quite cryptic. Mm. <laughs> how to find your way back to the gold. Yeah, um, and but, to Longcoat Bob. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, to yeah. find Longcoat yeah. Bob. So um, that's that's the first gift. Exactly. But, it, but even that's ambiguous too, isn't totally. it? Did, did it come from the sky Absolutely. or did her mother leave her the gift? Because the gift, you know, comes as her mother's departure is happening and literally her mother says, I'm leaving, don't turn around until I'm gone, talk to this guy, don't turn around, I'm mm. going, don't turn around, totally. don't turn around. And when she does finally turn yes. around, there is a box yeah. sitting there with a sky blue ribbon Absolutely. on it. Absolutely. So I, I'm thinking the mother gave the gift, Jules. Yeah. I'm going with that. Because <laughs> that's an actually, to be honest, that's where it was to me. That's where I started to go, oh, oh, really? Yeah, like, uh, it's a bit fantastic. Yeah, a bit fantastical for yeah. me. But that's okay. Maybe I'm just far too pragmatic. So I yeah. just went with the fact that the mother left that and she'd organised yeah. it and she had it all ready to go. Yeah, but Molly believed it was a, a gift from the exactly sky. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly because that's right. what mum had said it would be. Exactly. Yeah. And then um, we're not going to give any spoilers away, but we will discuss a bit of the plot. And then when things get really tricky with um, Uncle Aubrey and um, the father, yeah. she actually prays to the sky for yes. it, basically a way out. Yeah. And then Darwin is bombed. Yes. It disbands the family. It disbands the family. And well it, it, said, it decides yeah. it decides for Molly what her next step is, and that Thank is you. to go on this grand Such adventure us. into mm. the wilderness exactly. and to see if she can't use the copper pan to to find Longcoat Bob and to try and you know get this curse lifted. Exactly right. But what happens is she forms this beautiful friendship with this woman called Greta. Yes. Now Greta was um, Aubrey's mm, part-time girlfriend. Yes. Poorly treated female yes. companion. Um, and this is where I think this is where I think Trent shines when he actually deals with some of those gritty because to be honest she was probably beaten up I'm sure she was beaten up by definitely. Aubrey absolutely oh yes so family definitely. domestic violence is yeah. a, a very big issue which he doesn't shy away from and I think mm-hmm. he handles it and writes about it so well don't yes. you think when things are yeah. gritty he shines yeah um, and so but Greta and um, and Molly become quite beautiful companions yeah they both fill a role in each other's lives yes. that, that was, was lacking. And yeah. uh, so basically Molly decides she's going to go on this journey. She's going to follow the directions of the bottom of the copper pan. She's going to find the golden long coat bob and sort out this curse. Yep. And Greta decides to come along for the ride. Yep. And they go on this adventure. And this is another point in the story where I thought, oh, really? Again, <laughs> this is a little bit fantastical because we've got this, I assume she's late 20s Greta. 
Probably, um, she's yeah. in this beautiful satin emerald green dress yes, yeah. um, with some sling back shoes, which I must have a heel because uh, it's the 40s, and um, and she's traipsing through yeah. the Indigenous wilderness in yeah. Southern Darwin. <laughs> and I don't know, I just I did struggle a bit with that. But then I'm yeah. like, Alex, just go with it. He does make mention of how tattered and filthy he their did, clothes yes, become quite, as the journey progressed. quite frequently, actually. Yeah. But I, yeah. I know, he does. I know, I know. But I just thought, what would a yeah. woman in her late 20s follow a 13-year-old on a, on, a, on a crazy mission only to be to be decided by the bottom of a cryptic cult compound. Do you know what I mean? I just didn't. Yeah. I get, look, I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from on that. I guess, you know, I think probably in a great many fictional works you yes. have to just kind of shrug and go, we're just going to go with this. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I did, Jules, but I did have yeah. to pause and get my head in the right space to continue forward. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It gives you pause for thought, but I guess it's also a case of if you get into the head of Greta, you can say, okay, well, she's a woman coming off the back of living, oh, she was making a living as an actress. She was. And she was probably barely making a living as an actress. But also taking her clothes off as well. Yeah. Yes. So, there was, so she didn't have much no. much to be bound to Darwin no, by. No, So when Darwin's bombed and her ridiculously horrible boyfriend yeah. <laughs> um, seems not to be in the picture anymore and every probably every workplace that she's ever had has also been raised. Yes. Um, she probably does think, okay, this child is offering me the opportunity to go with her and try um, and locate some gold. What the hell? What other offers have yep, I got right, you're right now? No, you're right, you're right, So you're maybe right. there's that sense yeah. of if you get into her shoes a little. Yeah. She's a little harder to, it's harder to step into the sleeve. Yes, backs. indeed. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. So they go on this journey, and this is where, like I was saying before, I, I did struggle, but but I did get my head back in the right spot after a bit of um bit of bit of um analysis. It was a little bit like the yellow brick road for me, going mm. to the Emerald City. Yes, it was like yeah. Homer's Odyssey, and fantastical journey, full of you know lots of metaphors and fables. Um, and I did think that whilst it was it was very it was interesting, it was possibly a little bit too prolonged for me. Yeah, no, I tend to agree with that. I think I think what I was saying before about Trent and the the characters that he brings in, they all had a purpose, but they were very. Um, I think he probably actually spent quite a lot of time constructing his plot yes. and linking them all together and where am I going to cross these people together, where am I going to have them intersect. Mm. Um, but I think there might have been a little bit too much going on. I mean, as the editor in me says, there was some stuff there that I would have said, okay, I think you've got so much there yeah. and there is so much else to think about, you could have gotten rid of that whole subplot. Yeah. And then the next book. Yeah, they yeah. well they found, you know, when, when they were in on this journey, they found a whole other mine set of miners there. And there was again some fairly nasty stuff that happened to Indeed. Greta and Molly that was quite upsetting to read. It was very upsetting to read. And it was read. really kind of gross actually. <laughs> it was it was, it um, was but I don't know what it served, what the purpose of it was in the plot particularly. Mm, mm. Um I think he used it as a way of pulling some other things together, but I don't know that he couldn't have done that no, in other ways. No, I agree. I think for me the purpose of that subplot was basically to firm up, I suppose, some of the views at the time that men held about women, Yeah, um, which is very much a role of that It book. did create an opportunity also. One of the other Sky Gifts, I think maybe the second Sky Gift that um, Molly and Greta received yep. happens at the very beginning mm. of their journey into the wilderness and it's actually um, a Japanese fighter pilot falling mm. out of the sky <laughs> yeah. in a parachute. Most unexpected. Um, and 
strange, but I actually really like that as an idea. It's I kind loved of cool. It. It's I a really that. That was the cool idea. Yeah. Um, and he ends up becoming their friend and going on the journey with them. I guess this subplot that we're talking about that I wasn't sure was necessary. The purpose it served was that Yukio, which is the name of the fighter pilot, um, did actually, I guess, prove his loyalty to he the did. girls on that mm. um, through that subplot, mm. um, and also, and also, there the, the, he contrasted the characters of, of the the men involved in that. Yes, um, yes. Camp with that of Yukio, and it actually almost firmed up in my mind the goodness that Yukio yeah. demonstrated. Well, Molly actually says at the end when he does do something fairly heroic and he saves the women, he, she sort of says, he's the good one. Yeah. I knew he was the good one. Totally. And, you know, in some ways he really is almost like the only, well, one of the few one of the men few. in the book. There I are some agree. pretty I agree. Like, evil men in the yeah, book. Yeah, totally. But there, I mean, I guess, you know, there is Sam as well who is a, a young Indigenous man who's like 16 years old who Molly knows from Darwin who she likes to fancy herself marrying or yeah. being with one day. But, got a hot crush on. But because he, she's 12 turning 13 and he's 16, she's, is treated like little kid sister by yeah. him, but yeah, there's there's not too many. No, there aren't. You know, male characters that are particularly admirable. No, um, no. So um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yukio was that though. Yukio, Yukio played that, that role. Um, he was such a highlight for me. Such a highlight. Yeah, such a highlight. But what, the other thing I would say too is there's this love story that develops between Yukio and Greta. Yes, as they, and Greta is initially very suspicious of. Yukio, as anyone would be when mm. the city has just been bombed by the Japanese pilots. Mm. Um, she regards him as the enemy and as a killer. And Molly, in her very open-hearted yes. and naive way, um, is just happy to welcome him because he's a sky gift. Totally right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and slowly but surely he does prove himself. Yes, he um, does. Um, not that Molly needed him too, but Greta certainly did. She did, didn't but, she? But they evolve into like her being a bit of a goddess in his eyes because she's, you know, blonde and glamorous looking and I guess, you know, because he's Japanese, he's, you know, he's um, completely different looking. Of so course. she's very foreign to him as he is to her. Yeah, absolutely. And um, he ends up this kind of, I, I wasn't sure how I felt about there being or needing to be a love oh, see, element I, to I that. actually say I loved that bit. Did you? I, <laughs> I, I loved that. That actually was a real moment for me. I just thought that was so tender and so beautiful. There were some beautiful bits. Oh. I got, I, got um, I feel like I, I was, was, my initial criticism was swayed by some of the lines towards the end where I just thought they were just really really quite beautiful yeah um oh you know some of them I, I actually did note down like some of the there's an element where oh that was the other there was another strange kind of druggy den that they came across as oh, well in the wilderness see, which that, again I thought was like why why I don't understand why the no, drug den's there no. um, that was to me that was an opportunity for Yukio to shine again and to prove his worth I yeah. suppose that was what I saw it yeah and an opportunity for Greta and Molly to realize that they were really very very they were each other's family and they needed yeah. to be together. Yeah. That it could have gone. Yeah. But I, I so in this particular little sort of offshoot plot <laughs> yeah. where they're in the drug den, like mm. um, at that stage um, Greta is exhausted because they've been trekking for, I presume, at that point, days or weeks. Absolutely. And um, also we need to add to that that there was another sky gift that they oh, had yes. meanwhile picked up, which, oh, oh. Oh, can we say? Can another, we say? Uh, another child. Another child. Uh, no, well, another a, a person baby. falling from the sky. Yeah. 
because people fall from the sky. It happens all the time. Look outside every day. I know. So, yeah, she was, she did, she'd been nursing this baby. Yeah, she'd been she very protective. Yes. So she was exhausted when they got to this drug den and they were fed some, the adults. Molly was suspicious, strangely, naive Molly. so interesting. Yes. She's always naive about But then I actually met things, to be honest, and then she became suspicious. Very suspicious. About, she, her instincts kicked in before anyone else's Yes, did. yeah. And I thought, is, is, and so really, is she, is she naive or is she an optimist? Because to me, yeah. she's a savvy optimist. Yeah, My opinion okay. of her changed after that. Yeah, I thought okay. that was really interesting. Yeah, so anyway, the elderly gentleman who's running this kind of strange tunnel of people mm. um, in the wilderness, <laughs> he was offering various soups and whatever else mm. to, to Greta and to Yukio and they end up having this long, long sleep, mm. which basically is a, a drug-induced sleep. Yeah. Um, Yukio comes out of it first and then he's very worried and concerned and realises they've been drugged in a manner that he wasn't expecting or mm. wasn't aware of and so he wants to get Greta out of there and save her and the, the young baby that mm. had fallen from the sky. Yes. Um, but there's this lovely bit where he's trying to wake her up because he's so he's he's managed to carry her and the baby away and back to safety, yeah. And he's trying to wake her up and he's really worried that yes. she's just been so drugged that she might actually be ill and unable to wake, you know. And he can't speak much English, which is also a really lovely, it's very endearing thing as well. That he's endearing. trying so hard to yes. communicate with the two girls throughout the trip. Um, and says he tries his English words again for Greta Mays, digs up every last one of them that he stores in his busy mind, and he tries to explain something to the sleeping actress. He lies on his side, rests his head on his right elbow, and he whispers, Greta, make whole again. Yukio wanted to go. He looks to the sky. Yukio wanted sky, which I think he's saying he wanted to die essentially. Um, The actress is sleeping but still she makes him nervous. Every broken word, an act of release, an act of confession. I want to stay, he whispers, clear English, near perfect English. The admission feels like a betrayal as much as it feels like the truth because he had previously been married and his wife had died. The truth of it makes him weep. I want to stay, he whispers, words between tears. I want to stay, Greta Mays, I want to stay. He wipes his eyes, rubs them, pulls himself away from the actress, standing now, ashamed, embarrassed. Um, The pilot's back is turned to Greta so he does not see her open her eyes. He does not see her looking to the sky through the branches of the tree. Um, Her mind is still processing the information of the moment, birdsong, running water, the smell of earth and bark, the touch of grass on her palms by her side, the beating of her heart, and her heart is absorbing the words of Yukio Miki, his whispered broken English confession. She woke to those whispered words. They opened her eyes, but she kept them closed. The treasure he dug from deep within his heart and soul and handed to a woman he barely knows. Mm. Well, that was really cute. That's beautiful. The other thing I'd just love to add about Yukio is that, for me, the other role that he served was his, I suppose, a fresh Japanese perspective helped yeah. us really appreciate some of the incredible um, wilderness they, they were witnessing when they were walking through yes. the, the landscape. Yeah, yeah. And um there's one quote I'd like to share. Seen from the orange-red sky above and looking down and closer in and closer in, they are there, wanderers crossing a vivid floodplain cut by sinuous rivers and wide freshwater channels dotted with lily-fringed waterholes. The sun low and honeyed, the man in the Japanese military uniform at the back of the group, stopping ever so often in his tracks to breathe the wild floodplain deep inside him, to take in the vision of all this wild green life. By the edge of a clear water billabong, he pauses briefly to smell a floating vine flower, the kangkong and its white and pink flowers shaped like trumpet. The intoxicating scent and the depth of pink colour that deepens and darkens inside the flower's wide throat. It made him laugh. Anyway, it goes on, but I suppose his 
fresh eyes just yeah. helped me also really appreciate some of the gloriousness. That, yeah. I mean, I had never been. I had no. never been. And I know Trent was very inspired by a trip he'd made to Litchfield National Park. Yes, yeah. I want to go now, Jules. Yes, I must say I would be quite honest. like to see. Yeah. But he actually describes almost like this amazing kind of series of different, it's almost like each different of them rooms. is a different world. Yes, I agree with that. There's Agreed. like 12 different worlds out there that are all vastly different and you yes. can turn a corner and suddenly it's a whole completely different landscape again. Absolutely. Um, I and know. I, I presume that's based on I know. some truth. Well, I, I've I don't read, know. I've read that he is yeah. very inspired by his multiple trips to Nashville. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's on my, it's on my to go yeah. list now. I was very, yeah. very inspired by that. Yeah, But let's awesome. talk a little bit about the commonalities with Boy Swallows Universe. So Boy Swallows Universe was an instant hit. Yes. So in 2019, it won the People's Choice Award, the Premier's Literary Award, for a record for um, Australian Book Industry Awards, including the, the prestigious Book of the Year. And then the novel also broke the Nielsen Book Scan records to become Australia's fastest ever fiction debut in wow. the history of, of, of the records. Wow. <laughs> 500,000 copies sold in Australia. It's embraced overseas, rights sold to 34 English languages and translation territories. So it was a massive deal. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and we loved it, didn't we? Mm, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. To me, yeah. that was a standout mm. for, 20, for 2020. It really was. But there's a lot of commonality between the two books. Yes. Mm. Yeah, mm. I think um, I feel like the voices, I mean, he's written Molly at, kind of the same age as yes, um, Eli. As, as Eli. Yeah. Um and there's still I don't know, I guess because of the hardships she's endured, she's she's not a girly girl. Oh no. Um and she's very capable and she's quite a strong minded individual. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are a lot of similarities. You can hear oh, it in the voice. Yes. The humour comes through the, the same. Humor. Do you know there was one part um that I thought was so funny. I mean there's lots and lots of little you know, funny sort of things that happen throughout. I mean, he he clearly is a really, um, I think, pretty cool, funny guy. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he, you know, there's this one bit that was very amusing to me as a as a way of sort of it's it's laconic kind of humor. It's not. Um, it's very laid back. It's not like joke telling. It's sure. just. Um, so she's basically um, trying to read the the poetry written on the bottom of the copper pan that's the first sky gift that was her grandfather's. Um, and she says, the water runs to the silver road because she's quoting it. Then she sniffs. She's got something stuck up her nose, a ball oh, yes. of dried clod, a clump of earth, ash maybe. Why did he write all these directions in riddles, Greta asks, frustrated. Why didn't he just say straight up where the bloody gold was? Because those riddles were just for him, Molly says. She blows her nose into her cupped hand. He didn't want anyone else to know what he was talking about, but maybe he wanted my mum to know and maybe he wanted me to know one day and he knew we'd understand. We'd understand what he was talking about because we look at the world the same way he does because we're poetic. Molly sticks a half a forefinger up her nose. <laughs> You're poetic, Greta asks. <laughs> yeah, poetic and graceful, like how my mum taught me to be, Molly says, not looking at Greta as she pulls a large black ball of snot from her nose and flicks it casually out her window. I love that. <laughs> That kind I of stuff, that. you know, it's like a prolonged bit of the whole time you're reading that, you're yeah. kind of just, you know, chuckling to yourself and having a bit of a grin. Just going, of course oh you God. are. The juxtaposition I'm rule, I loved so it. so poetic. I know, so totally. Poetic. As you pick your nose. And she, yes, and that's a recurring thing too all the way through. I'm poetic and I'm graceful. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she wears no shoes. And yeah, and uh, you're not yeah. poetic and graceful like me, Uncle, so you can't do that. Totally. Or, you know, know, I'm poetic and graceful. I know, I know, I know. That's gorgeous. That's gorgeous. So the other thing I thought was really interesting um, when looking at Boy Swallows Universe and All Our Shimmering Skies was the way that 
he describes, I suppose, Darwin in the 40s and then Dara, which is where Boy Swallows Universe was, was set in the 80s. He's, he, I love, I think he shines, like I said before, when he's, he deals with all the gritty stuff, all the raw, real life stuff. Mm. Um, and like he describes Darwin in a lot of dirty detail. I'm just going to read you this one quote. The Darwin dream has a smell and it smells like the maggots eating all those discarded crab claws. It smells like all the cut ends of vegetables left to rot in the Chinatown bins that dingoes and lost dogs tip over after dark. Darwin dreams in drink and sweat, warm beer and toil, fat-bellied fist fighters and men who piss in buckets beneath their bar stools. Empty car bodies left abandoned in the streets outside town by empty men who shot themselves dead inside them. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> It yeah. paints a picture. He he does that. That that is where he shines, Jules. To it's me. grim. It's very very grim. And yet he's such a um, when you do hear him on a podcast, Delightful. he's such an upbeat, yeah. positive, high energy, energy mm. kind of guy. I know. Like so, yeah. It's uh, it's actually admirable, I think, to have such an understanding and a relationship with that dark side. Yes. And yet to be Mr. Bright and Shiny Yellow yeah, Guy. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But for those who've read Boy Swallows Universe, I suppose the answer to that is the fact that, you know, Boy Swallows Universe really was was basically semi-autobiographical. Yes. And he yeah. lived through some very, very gritty times in yeah. Dara in the 1980s. So that's why I think he's got this ability, Jules. Yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. Absolutely I mean, he's drawing incredible. on truth. but um, Drawing on truth. But for him to still be so. I know. So shiny. I know. <laughs> so shiny and so lovely. Adorable. I'm not has that a little... shiny and I don't have that sort of darkness in my past. <laughs> I know. I hear you. I hear you, my friend. I hear you. So the other thing which really hit me when I was sitting on Manly Beach and reading, you know, starting to read the book, when I started to read the story of Molly Hook, Immediately I thought, this is a Cinderella story. There's so many fairy tale style references there in the are, book. Definitely. Yeah. And all of them dark, really. Yeah. I mean, there are obviously there's the fantasy side of things, but all of that dark stuff of like being forced by the evil stepmother, or in this case, the evil oh, uncle. Cool. Um, and yeah, and being, you know, living in poverty and oh, and and yeah, not not being in control of your own. I mean, she is a child, I guess, but not being in control of where you are, what you do, even just not being looked after, mm. you know. And, um, yeah, I've got to say, you know, there was a, a bit where um, Dalton paints the picture of where they live. They have a tiny little shack off to the side of the cemetery and um, and <laughs> there's this little passage to that really paints the picture when Horace hooks that's Molly's father when Horace hooks in a light mood Molly sometimes suggests to her father that his cemetery keeper's house feels like a kind of tomb in itself as dark and dead as the 894 and always counting tombs that surround it she suggests more windows she suggests more cleaning she suggests more food to eat fewer maggots in the sink fewer blood stains on the kitchen walls fewer unwashed forks and dinner plates caked in old gravy fewer weevils in the oats in the pantry you were silverfish crawling through Emily Dickinson and William Butler Yeats and Walt Whitman on Violet's bookshelf by the front door. Fewer empty whiskey bottles filling the space beneath the kitchen sink. Fewer strips of flypaper hanging from the ceiling turned black with the dead, stuck dead wings, heads and legs of houseflies. So that's, that's the picture of where she lives with her uncles and what she has to tolerate and they expect her to clean mm. things. And they're very um, cruel at times. There was a um, quite a nasty 
scene that he painted, which I don't think really belies anything much of the story, so we can talk about it mm. probably, where her father is off on a bender yes. and he's heading into town to find some more moonshine because he's just like fevered and frenzied about his desire to have more booze because they're just the most horrific alcoholics, Her- these guys, aren't they? And he says, when I come back, I want this place spick and span mm. and I want it so clean that you will have, the only way I will know that you have gone over every single surface in the place is I'm going to hide this small red thimble that was your mother's somewhere in the house and only once you've found this thimble will I know that you have gone over every surface in order to find it. So there, you know, there's this terrible sort of, you know, subsequent pages of Molly knowing that she is really going to cop it because she does get whipped with um, Regularly. Le- leather Beaten. straps Horrendous. and whatever else if she um, doesn't comply with her father's or her uncle's wishes. She basically does the house from top to bottom and as he's leaving the house, Horace puts the thimble in his pocket and takes it with him. That's just cruel. cruel. And at no point does she find it, So of course, because it's left the house with her father. And when he comes back, he's like, so where's the thimble? Mm. Um, you didn't do a good enough job. I know. I mean, I just thought that was just it was so awful, it cruel. Was awful. Yeah. Just, yeah, just torturous. It was torturous. It was torturous. <laughs> it was torturous. It was, it was awful. So there's that kind of stuff. And that's quite, I don't think quite, fit, you know, the dark evil side of fairy tales is there, like the big bad wolf creeping Absolutely, through the, yeah. the, you know, just menace, the yes, menace the of menacing. that. And, the, and the, some of the descriptions of, of Uncle Aubrey always calling him the black wolf yes. or the black shadow or him being all shadow. Yes. Um, you know, there's one very brief description I've got here marked where the tall black shadow uncle's hairy black wolf arm wrenches the pan violently from his niece's hands. Mm. Now, I don't need to tell you any more, but just that descriptiveness of tall black shadow uncle's hairy black arm, like all in one, and the repetitiveness, it's just like really it pretty much tells you everything you need to know Absolutely. about what her feeling is about this uncle yep. and how frightened she mm. should be of him. So there's a lot of menace. There's a lot of menace. There's a lot of menace, absolutely. Um, and that sort of, yeah, is reminded of the, like the Brothers Grimm type fairy tales. Yes, absolutely. Know, very very dark grim. Ones. And they yes. are Grimm Brothers. They <laughs> work so well, work yeah. so well. But what's interesting is there's a lot of menace and there's um, a lot of a lot of very, very cruel, violent scenes and poor Molly is subjected. She has a very, very hard life. Mm. But yet when you turn the last page, and I'm not going to give any spoilers away, mm. it is very much to me a book about hope. Yeah. It's a book about tenacity and yes. that somehow through the dark times, lightness can prevail. Find the light in the sky. Exactly right. And I know you mentioned <laughs> that when you were listening to that podcast, that's, yeah. that's how he described it as well. Yes, what it yeah. Was, what, what it was for him. Yeah, yeah. He sort of, I think he said something about, um, yeah, the story was about gifts that fall from the sky, the curses we dig from the earth and the secrets we bury inside ourselves and, yeah, just about finding the answers in the sky. Mm. So, um yeah, um, I did. I, I I found it very hopeful at the end. I yeah, did. I really did. I had I had the warm feeling in my stomach and felt good about it. Yeah, there yeah. is that sense though. You did say it to me earlier something about uh, is her optimism given mm-hmm. all that she has um, endured realistic? Yeah. But in my own head, as I just said that, I thought, but isn't that Trent Dalton? Yeah, that's Trent Dalton. Exactly right. And that's something that that's if you look at his obviously voice was you know yeah. his life and the fact that it is absolutely. semi-autobiographical. Absolutely, he actually does sound like yeah. he's that 
optimist yeah. that's risen from the ashes. Yeah. And that and that and that regardless of how shitty things can get, mm. there is always hope. Yeah. There is always hope that things are going to get better. Yeah. So it's he was writing books. for his girls. I think he was, he was writing for his daughters by having these um two amazing female protagonists in yeah. Gresha and in um Molly. But maybe he's writing himself as Molly. I think Somewhat. his view on the world is very much Eli Bell's and Molly Hooks. Yeah. And that's and that's his lived experience. And that's yeah. a real credit to him. Absolutely. It's a real credit yeah. to him. Yeah. But I also think that's very inspiring. Yeah. You know, because she has a I mean, okay, it's as I said before, sometimes I think it was a bit fantastical or a little bit over the top. But you know what? Overall, she it is a beautiful journey. She has a hard life. She pushes through. She goes through some horrendous experiences and hope prevails and and good prevails and yeah. Know, it was a good fairy tale. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. It was a good book. Yeah. 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 So very and much look, enjoyed it. Very much enjoyed it. And so please read it. As we said earlier, we probably didn't enjoy it just as much as the first one, but the first one was exceptional, yes, wasn't it? it exceptional. was. Exceptional. Yeah. But this is still really good. Oh, this is still an amazing book. Still an and amazing book. I think book. he deserves a lot of plaudits, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. But this, the bar was very high after mm. the first one. Yeah. I think it's better. So. Uh, uh, mind you, a lot of people are saying this is better. I know they are. I know they are. I don't necessarily hold that view, but that's fine. Like lots of people, yeah, far more knowledgeable than myself. Yes, exactly. <laughs> have, have enjoyed it better. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, but do you know what I think, Jules? As I was reading it, particularly as they're on their journey through, you know, the indigenous um, indigenous landscape, I thought this is going to make the most incredible movie. Oh yeah, this will be to me. I Baz Luhrmann, yeah, <laughs> the next Australia. Absolutely, <laughs> this to me will be an incredible. I mean, I don't, I don't even know if the, if the movie rights have been sold. I don't no. even know, but I can just see it'll be beautiful. Yeah. all that gorgeous scenery of the yeah. Mitchell National. I'm sure Park. it won't be Baz Luhrmann. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it's far too dark for that. <laughs> it is exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, it's too gritty for Baz, yeah. isn't it? Yes, yeah, too definitely. gritty. Yeah, yeah. Simon Baker, maybe. Oh, he'd be good. Yeah. Mm. But he's just, you know, when he did Breath by Tim Winton, he adapted that into that film. Mm. I don't know if you saw that. And, um, yeah, he's got a good sense of the Australian. He does, doesn't he, actually? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Mm. Watch this space. Mm. Yes. Thank you, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that. We, we try here to, to keep it as real as we can, don't we, Jules? Absolutely. You know, because yeah. I think that's what it's all about, yep. trying to guide you through your reading choices. Sure. But we do very much recommend this book. It is definitely worth reading. It is beautiful. It is delightful. It will warm your heart. And please put it on your to-be-read list. It is definitely worth it. No, it's not as good as Boy Swallows Universe in Jules and my humble opinion. But, you know, we're all so differently wired. So we would love to hear what you think. So when you've read it, get online, join one of our conversations, and uh, we would be really, really intrigued to hear your opinion. Now, for those of you who are getting organized for our next book club, the next book we're reading is The Good Sister by Sally Hepworth, who is another Aussie author. Now, I have not yet read a Sally Hepworth book, but I am so excited. Sally's written seven books and this is her latest. I have got her previous one, The Mother-in-Law, on my to-be-read pile here in my study. So I am so looking forward to reading this book and uh, look, becoming a Sally Hepworth groupie because I believe there are many of them about. So download it on Audible, buy it, read it and join the conversation because that's what it's all about here. So in the week leading up to the podcast, I will put a little reminder on social media and if you have read it by then and would love to share your thoughts, please, please send them our way because that's what we love the most here, getting you guys involved. So here's to a wonderful week. We have just uh, got a new puppy in our house, so we are all upside down and inside out. It is chaos, but he is totally adorable. So uh, I hope uh, your week is going to be more organized and calmer than mine. But anyway, lots of love, everybody, and we will catch you again very soon. Bye.